the three verses of our text again. So Colossians 1, verses 21 to 23. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been being proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. <clears throat> Dear congregation, you've probably heard phrases before that go like, we've drifted apart, or we've grown away from one another. We've changed. You see, in the human relations, whether friends or marriages, there's always the problem of becoming alienated. Two people who were once close drift from each other and then fall apart. This even happens with groups of people. As time goes on, a school community or a church community, they change their course. And we often call this mission drift. Mission drift. And it happens all the time. In the Western church, it seems almost inevitable that eventually a church split will happen every few generations because of this mission drift. But what's the solution to this problem? How do churches stop mission drift? How do they stop from moving either to liberalism or sectarianism? And what about Maranatha here this morning? What about you as a group of fellow believers? How are you guys going to make sure that you don't drift apart? How are you going to strengthen yourself as a body to withstand the onslaught and the pressures that are on you? Well, this morning, God tells you the gospel solution. It's a call to return to your first love. You see, Proverbs tells us, tells the husband to drink from his own cistern and to not go seeking other wells. Well, Paul continues in our text in that wisdom tradition. He says, don't go after other wells of water, other sources of water. The bride must stick to her husband, the husband of the church, Jesus Christ. And so that's the main message of Paul's entire message letter to the Colossians, actually. You see in Colossians 2, verse 6 to 7, it says, As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And Paul supports this main message in our text, these three verses. And so I've summarized these, tech, these three verses with the theme, remain rooted in the reconciliation of Christ. And we do so by remembering three things. First, who you were without Christ. And second, who you are in Christ. And third, who you will be in Christ. 
So who you were without Christ, who you are in Christ now, and who you will be before Christ in the future. Now in the, the hymnic verses of, before our text, the verses that we preached on last week, Paul told the Colossians how great Jesus was. Jesus is supreme. And in these three verses, he now calls the Colossian church to remain in Jesus Christ, the supreme reconciler. You see, the church was tempted to add to Jesus Christ or to even move away from him to other things, other forms of salvation. And so the Spirit gives these three verses to the Colossians and to us this morning, telling us to stick with Jesus the whole way, to go with him the whole way. And he does so first by reminding us of who we are without Christ. And so we see a great contrast is made. We just heard about how great Christ is, and then now Paul's going to tell us how miserable we were without Christ. And so let's read the first verse, verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Paul reminds them that without Christ, they were alienated from God. Now, alien has nothing to do with UFOs. To be alienated from someone is to be estranged or to be separated from someone. And the word is only used a few times in the New Testament to refer to unbelieving Gentiles. And we can see its use in Ephesians 4, for instance, which I'll read for you. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated or alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to all sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You see, the unbelieving Gentiles did not have a living relationship with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They didn't have the word of God or the covenant. Rather, they were separated from the life of God because of their sins. And this is perhaps how some of you grew up. Some of you grew up not knowing God or his word. Well, the Spirit wants to remind you how far away you were, how distant you were, isolated, how alone you were without Jesus Christ. But not only were you separated from God, The passage also says you are enemies of God in your minds. You see, our minds or our structures of thought even, our ideas, our hearts, they were at war with God. It wasn't just a matter of not knowing who God was. We were at war with him. But even deeper than being at war with him, we hated him. You see, we know of stories where two soldiers fighting against each other. They're at war with one another, but they actually still love and care for each other. We hear stories about that happening in World War II, for instance. But that's not what it's like. Our war with God was like. 
We hated God. We despised him. We clenched our fists against him. One theologian says that our hearts are idol factories. Our minds hated God so much that we created other gods to go to war with him and his creation. And this war, this hatred, is at the root of all unbelief. This is who we are by nature, haters of God, enemies. And it's important to know that this is our natural state in sin. This is who we are without Christ. But this is also who everyone else is without Christ. People hate him, and they make war against him in their minds. But how do we know this, that our minds are at war with God, or were at war with God? Well, the Spirit tells us that what is in the mind bore fruit in evil behavior. Because our minds, our systems of thought, our ideas, were like war machines making war against God, they also worked themselves out in all sorts of destructive behavior sin. The parallel passage from Ephesians that I read before mentions some of these evil behaviors. Quote, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You see, what we believe in our minds directs and influences what we do, how we act. This is why the Bible talks about us filling our minds with the word and transforming our minds with the truth because this influences the way we then act. We then act in righteous and good ways, in loving ways. But when the mind thinks something sinful, this leads to sinful behavior. And then what happens? An evil habit forms. An evil habit that then shapes our minds even more evil, to think even more sinfully. And this then leads to even more sinful actions, more evil habits. You see, our minds, when they're filled with sin and our evil behaviors, they reinforce each other into a cycle of sin, spiraling down into more and more darkness. And we can see this, for instance, in a cycle of addiction. You know, a, first, a person, they first desire some kind of pleasure or they desire an escape. And then that desire leads them to act out. They, they indulge in some kind of substance like alcohol. And then the next time they want an escape or pleasure, they know where to go. Their mind reminds them to go to the bottle again. And so he drinks again. And again and again, more and more and more, until the man's mind is altered, is changed. This habit has reshaped his whole thought. The mind desires, and then the will acts, and this produces habits that then change our minds even more. But you see, this isn't just for addicts. This is the deadly cycle of all sinners. 
This is the deadly cycle we were born into. The sin which entangled the world. And the Spirit is saying to you in this passage that by nature, this is who you were. Completely separated from God, your mind hating Him, your life nothing but full of wicked behavior. That's who you were without Christ. Do you see how terrifying that is? How dark of a place it is. How lost. How miserable. How terrible life was. But why does the Spirit remind us of this? Why does the Spirit reveal to us, remind us of how shameful we were without Christ? Well, He wants us to remember how bad it was so that we never go back there. God doesn't want you to go back to who you used to be. To be like a dog, as Proverbs says, that returns to eat its own vomit. What a disgusting image, eating one's own vomit. Well, that's what people do when they leave Jesus Christ, when they leave his church, to go live their old life again. It's such a sad thing to see. It breaks our hearts. You see, we are reminded of who we were without Christ because it helps us to cling tighter, to hold on to Jesus Christ. I know that for myself, this has been helpful to deal with doubts and temptations. Because I remember a time when I was an enemy of God. I thought that if he does exist, I hate him. At the time, I actually thought that I was a good person, but actually it's shameful the way that I treated others. You know, one could say that my life was quite carefree, it was full of good times, but in truth, it was a life full of misery because it was like a dog eating its own vomit. It was disgusting and is definitely not nutritious for the body or the soul. You see, when I'm tempted by the life of the world, when we are tempted to doubt the goodness of God's love, Remembering who we were, remembering who I was before without Christ, it helps me. You know, I say, okay, Taylor, the life of the world can sometimes look good. I'm tempted to look at it, desire it. But at one point, I seemed to have it. And I remember how empty it all was. You see, all that the world offers is just a mirage. It will never satisfy but Jesus Christ can. And so, brothers and sisters, remember who you were without Christ. Let that memory drive you to cherish and hold on to Christ more. Don't take him for granted. And next, Paul encourages us to remain rooted in Christ by remembering who we are now, now in Christ. Verse 22. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight 
without blemish, and free from accusation. Paul contrasts who the Colossians once were with who they are now in Christ. He tells the Colossians to remember what God has done for them. God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. We see that God is the one who has reconciled us. There are some presentations of the gospel that can make it seem that God is some kind of passive force, impersonal, force of justice, and that Jesus is the one who saves us from this impersonal force. But here we are reminded, like John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he sent Christ to reconcile us to him. You see, God is the one behind it all. He's not passive. He is actively pursuing our reconciliation. And it's not that we reconciled ourselves to God. No, it's while we were still enemies, God was working to reconcile us so that, no lo- so that we would no longer be alienated from him, but we would be actually his own children. So we are no longer enemies of God in our mind, but we actually have our minds transformed by the renewing of our minds to love God. So that no longer would we be doing evil deeds, evil behavior, but that we would be people who bear fruit of love, of good works, of righteousness and obedience to God's word. But how did God bring us back into a right relationship with him? You see, it wasn't enough to just do some counseling to fix this problem. No, Jesus had to take on our flesh, our nature, though sinless, and he bore in his human nature the wrath of God against our sin so that God's justice could be satisfied. It was necessary that a true human reconcile us to God Because it was us humans, as a race of people, as God's created image. We were the ones that had rejected God. And so from us, we had to reconcile ourselves to God. But this could only be through Jesus Christ, the one who was powerful enough to do this. But what is the result of this reconciliation, of this bridging of the gap between our relationship with God? Well, God reconciled you so that he could present you as holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. And so let's look at these three benefits, starting with holy. What does it mean that God presents us as holy through Christ's death? Well, you and I, we were separated from God. We were part of Satan's rebellion against God this movement against the Lord. But to be made holy is to be separated from that movement. You see, God baptized you in his name, Father, Son, and Spirit. No longer are you a child of the devil, but you are a child of God. Your whole life is now dedicated to God's family. When you were baptized, 
whether as a child or an adult, you see you're distinguished, set apart from the rest of the world, the movement of the world against God. You're part of a new movement, the kingdom of heaven. But not only are God's people called holy, Paul tells the Colossians that they are also without blemish. Paul is making use of a word that has a rich background in the Old Testament. The animals that were to be sacrificed were also to be without blemish, without any defect, blameless. Who here would dare claim to not have any defects? Who here would claim to be blameless, without blemish? to not have any faults at all. Now, perhaps you might actually make that claim. I remember a time as a kid telling my dad before our nighttime prayer one Sunday, Dad, I don't think I sinned today. I thought I was without fault. And yet my father was quick to remind me of what occurred earlier that day. The pastor's daughter had left her purse in the playground, and when she came back, a dollar was missing. The pastor came to our suburban, packed full of my family, and asked nicely if anyone had taken it, looking directly at me. And in shame, I handed it back. But the funny thing is that by the time nighttime had come, I had already forgotten. I thought I was blameless, that I hadn't sinned at all that day. But while we would not claim to be blameless in ourselves, God presents us to himself and the world as blameless, without blemish, only because of the works of Christ. God says over his people, you are without blemish. You are without defect in Christ. You are set apart without any blemish, to be a living and pure sacrifice to him, a living sacrifice. And the third reason that God reconciled his people was to present them free from accusation, our text says. This is a legal, a judicial term. It describes someone who cannot be prosecuted as guilty before the judge, someone who cannot be given a prison sentence we might say. And even though we do evil behavior, yet in Christ, we are free from accusation. You see, God will not accuse and condemn his people. They are free from blame. But why? Doesn't that seem unjust? Doesn't God say that no sinner will escape punishment? Well, the reason is that Christ took our blame. And so even though the devil accuses you, tempts you to doubt Christ's work, it cannot change the fact that Christ's people are free from God's punishment. Because of Christ, you are judged, you are declared and seen as righteous, an upstanding citizen in God's kingdom. Romans 8 says, 
Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who is raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. People of Jesus Christ, you may be overwhelmed by the evil you have done. Anxious, guilty, and ashamed of who you are before the eyes of God and before the eyes of of other people. Well, don't go seeking to deal with that shame by yourself. Look to the cross of Jesus. In Christ's death, you are holy. Remind yourself of who you are in God's eyes. In Christ's death, you are now without blemish, able to be a living sacrifice of thankfulness to God. In Christ's death, you are free from accusation. Put these truths in your pockets. Carry them with you every day. Write these truths in your heart. When you wake up in the morning, remind yourself, God says that through Christ's death, I am holy. I am without blemish. I am free of accusation. You see, this truth also helps us teach and train covenant children or others. There was this book called The Help. You may have heard of it or read it. This book tells the story of an African-American woman who as a servant helped raise a white family's daughter And this woman would always and repeatedly teach this young girl, you is kind, you is smart, you is important. Well, when you are raising your children, or even just interacting with fellow believers, remind them, teach them of who they are in Christ. Tell them repeatedly, over and over, day by day, God has reconciled you through Christ's death. You are holy. You are without blemish. You are free from accusation. Let this truth tether us, bind us, ground us in our daily pilgrimage of faith. You see, when we are rooted in this truth, of reconciliation, of who we are in Christ, holy, without blemish, and blameless. It works itself out in our life. When we know who we are in Christ, when our minds are shaped by faith in this truth, are rooted in the truth of reconciliation, we now begin to live in accordance with this truth. Our actions, our practices begin to change in a good way. As one commentator says, through this truth, God refashions our lives according to the pattern, the habit, 
of the perfect life that is Christ, that of Christ. You see, when we know that we are holy in Jesus Christ, we are going to hate the world, not wanting to be a part of its movement. When we know God has made us to be without blemish, we will be given living a pure life devoted to him. When we know that we are free from accusation before our God, we are going to live as good citizens in his kingdom. Through Christ, you are, in a way, remarried to God, restored to God. You see, God reconciles to himself an estranged and unfaithful wife. And so live out your marriage to him by being faithful, being holy before him. As he has loved you, also then love him. Another theologian comments that if we understand that through Christ we gain a new relationship with God, we also recognize that relationships can never remain static. They either grow or die. And the same is true of our relationship with God. If we neglect it or flirt with other attractions, we endanger it. And so this is why, applying this text now, this is why the Spirit is telling the Colossians and us here that we must continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. You see, you cannot be static. You cannot be apathetic. You cannot be passive. Because there is no neutral stance. There is no neutrality when it comes to God. If you are apathetic or you don't care, you're actually just growing away from him. And so continue in the faith. Cling to the hope. Grow your roots deeper in the faith. Foster a greater love for God by remembering who you are in Him. You are holy without blemish and free from accusation. So grow in that truth. And this takes us to our third and final point, a future blessing. You see, the Spirit tells us to remain rooted in the reconciliation of Christ by remembering who you will be before him. You see, when God says that it is his goal to present you holy without blemish and free from accusation, we also see here that there is a future blessing. It points out, as one author says, to the perfection that will be ours when Christ returns. For instance, in war strategy games like Axis and Allies or Risk, you'll know that you begin to take over an enemy by taking the territories you can access, the territories that are on the outside of the nation. And you slowly move in towards the capital of the city. 
But unlike that, God reconciles enemies by starting at the capital city from the inside out. He gives us a righteousness from God. He declares us to be his allies. He gives the Holy Spirit to rule the capital city, our hearts. And then he works in our lives from the inside out. We have more and more victory. We, the enemy is pushed out. The enemy of sin. But on judgment day, all sin, all alienation from God will be completely exposed, completely gone. Every aspect of our life will be holy, pure. We will be transformed fully into the likeness of Christ. And on that day of judgment, God will declare before the whole world and the accusing devil that you are my people. You are holy. You are without blemish and free from accusation. And knowing that God will present us this way on Judgment Day is an encouragement to stick with Christ. You see, this is our hope. That he will fully rid us of all brokenness in our minds and our actions. That we will be fully holy, fully free from sin that we will fully live in harmony with God. And so when your life of faith has trials, this hope helps us remain rooted in Christ. When public pressures come upon you to conform to the world's values or the world's agenda, or when the pressures from your family come wanting you to stick with their religion, then hold on to this hope. When the duties of the Christian life seem to be getting in the way of your own personal fulfillment, then remember the hope of who you will be in Jesus Christ. There are treasures beyond imagining a life that is worth any amount of suffering, any amount of mistreatment, any amount of loss, any amount of broken societal or family relationships. And so congregation in Surrey, do not drift from our only hope. Your one husband, Jesus Christ. Seek him. Remain rooted in him alone. Remember, recall who you were without him. Remember who you are in him. You are holy. You are without blemish and without free from accusation. And so strive to live that truth out in your own lives day by day. Let us live that out in our congregation here. And finally, remember who you will be in the future. We got to stick to the vision, to the hope 
in Christ to the one path of reconciliation. Amen.